0: I'm Mark Caro and welcome to episode 46 of Pop. Our guest this week brought the beat to We Got The Beat, Go-Go's drummer Gina Schock. She's got amazing energy, whether she's making or talking about music. It's no wonder she elevated the Go-Go's to a new level when she joined the band. She grew up in Baltimore and as an 11-year-old attended her first concert, an astounding double bill of Led Zeppelin opening for The Who. It wasn't until years later that she learned that this was the only time those two bands shared a bill. But even if she wasn't aware of the concert's soon-to-be-legendary status, she knew she was witnessing something life-changing. John Bonham, Keith Moon, two thunderous bands with the Who destroying their instruments at the end. Shock never took lessons as a drummer, she just played along with her favorite songs. It was all about the music, and she practiced a lot. In Baltimore, Edith Massey, the egg lady in John Waters' cult movie Pink Flamingos, invited her to play drums in a new band, Edie and the Eggs. That project got shocked to New York and other cities, and she knew she wanted more. She moved to Los Angeles, hung out with clubs, saw her share of punk bands, and eventually joined one, The Go Go's. What was her first impression of them? How did her fierce work ethic mix with the band's approach at the time? When Kathy Valentine joined as bassist, the final puzzle piece was in place and the band, with its souped up rhythm section, took off. The Go-Go's weren't happy with the mixes that veteran producer Richard Godderer assembled for the 1981 debut, Beauty and the Beat. But they couldn't dispute the results. One of the most successful debut albums of all time, hitting number one and featuring two smash singles, Our Lips Are Sealed and We Got the Beat. Other standouts as well, including How Much More and This Town. Did the label do all it could with that album? Shock has some opinions. She also offers her perspective on playing with a click track. The Go-Go's rushed to record and release the follow-up, Vacation, also with Goddard. For 1984's Talk Show, they traveled to England to work with producer Martin Rushent, whom Shock admired especially for his production of the Human League's album Dare. She loved the sound that he captured on Talk Show. And the singles Head Over Heels and Turn To You burst from the speakers with a muscular drum sound. But Shock was less happy with the recording experience. As she tells it, some band members, for a variety of reasons, weren't as ready as she was to show up and get to work. That would be the Go-Go's last album before the band broke up regrouped and repeated that cycle a few times. Money was a frequent source of tension within the band, in part due to the disparity of income among those who were and were not credited as songwriters. Shock calls out the unfairness of both the system and some common assumptions about what constitutes songwriting. Shock and Valentine wound up suing the band over financial issues at separate points. Yet all five Go-Go's got back together, played more shows, recorded the 2020 song Club Zero, and were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last Last year, The band was supposed to tour Europe with Billy Idol this summer, before Idol had to postpone the shows, and the Go-Go's couldn't join the rescheduled dates. Will the Go-Go's tour again? Record again? Chaka's game, but note some obstacles. Meanwhile, you can enjoy Shock's words and photos in her irresistible coffee table book, Made in Hollywood All Access with the Go Go's. The photos boast a year in the room intimacy as her bandmates clearly trusted her as they let their guards down. Shock shares vivid memories, and the book also includes accounts from friends such as Jodie Foster, who offers a perfect summary of the Go Go's approach to life. In her foreword to the book, Kathy Valentine says, The drummer rules the band. Does Shock agree? What do you think? Enjoy this hard-rocking carol pop conversation with Gina
1: Schott.
0: Well, this is exciting. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure, Mark. Thank you.
0: So do you agree with Kathy Valentine that the drummer controls the band?
1: (laughs) Well, um, I, I don't know. I certainly start and end each song. So, um, and everything in between, uh, and I guess you kind of need to follow, uh, the beat. Um, so it's the drummer's very, very important. That's for sure. But you got to have great songs to back all that up. And I'm a, I'm a drummer that does what they need to, uh, to always make the song better. I'm I'm about the songs, you know, um, I've been in a great band with great songs and I get Absolutely. to do some cool stuff with my drums and I'm, it's been all wonderful. I've got no complaints except I could complain for, hours but what good is that uh it's all been good mark no kidding um but yeah kathy uh uh yeah that's super sweet of her and um she's a great bass player she's a great guitar player um i've been lucky to work with people that i like for the most part we all fight and you know this and that because it's family but
0: right Family. <laughs> well, it seems like the go-go's, I mean, you know, they had this sort of foundation of, you know, like some of the songs and some of what was there and sort of the pieces, but it seems like the puzzle became complete when they got a rhythm section. You know, and, and not that they didn't have a rhythm section, but when Kathy joined and you joined, it seemed like that's what it's it's like this illustration of like the importance of a great rhythm section because that pushed you guys yeah. into another lead.
1: It's the um, you know, as I you you have my book, which thanks. I hope you enjoy the book. I'm I do. I'm it's very great. Of it. I love it. Um, my whole thing is uh, is whatever I can do, playing drums in a band to elevate everything in all the right ways is what I want to do. You're, you're right. I think that the rhythm section and in our case, and we're strong, we're like really good musicians. We've been playing. We had been playing a lot longer than any other girls in the band. When I first came out to LA, you know, from Baltimore, um, I had been playing in a lot of bands in Baltimore. Um, so I had a little, I definitely had, you know, several years on everyone else uh, as far as, you know, my instrument goes. Um, and when I met the girls, uh, I I saw them play before I joined the band and I thought they were just great, but they were pretty sloppy and, you know, I think that they needed somebody to push them. And I, when I got in the band, I think I did exactly that because I felt like there was something there, um, that just needed, needed to be worked on. They needed to put their time in, um, to make to you know to make them the best at what they do and so i feel like i definitely was a part of of helping everybody in the band achieve um, what they were trying to achieve and that was you know become better songwriters and become better at their at their instrument and like i say i had i had several years on everybody and then kathy joined and she had already been she'd been playing in bands in in, in austin so um you know, when we started playing together, it was a tight, tight rhythm section, and um, you know, we all added our bits to the band to make it, you know, what it eventually be- became. And that was a, you know, uh, number one records, and you know, uh, highly successful, and um, you know, it's been pretty great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have this impression of you, partly from your book and partly from just what I've seen, heard uh, that that you're very disciplined and that you practice and that you, you know, you're just like sort of not just kind of going up there and having a good time. You know that you're really making making sure you have you have, you have a certain worth at work ethic. And I'm wondering if that's yeah. something you also brought to the band absolutely. and if you had to sort of enforce be the enforcer sometimes.
1: Yeah, they they all you know. <laughs> would bitch and complain about me because I was practice, practice, practice. And still to this day, I'm always about, you know, if they, if we have, you know, two weeks of rehearsal, I'm the one that wants three weeks of rehearsal. I just feel like I like to rehearse, rehearse, rehearse until you feel absolutely comfortable walking on that stage, knowing everything that you have to do is just going to pour out of you without thought, you know? So yes, I, firmly believe that practice makes perfect. And it certainly worked for me. I mean, I just, my whole approach to playing any instrument was, you know, pick that instrument up, start playing it. Um, um and and spend your time working with it and like guitar bass drums whatever it may be that you're drawn to i feel like if you put the time into it it's going to pay off uh it, it certainly did for me and i just i would come out from school every day and play with my favorite records that was the way i got around having to take lessons i would just because when you're playing with a song you love you you know how it is you play it a million times just listening to something that you're that you're crazy about at the time you'll play it over and over so i just had headphones and i played along with with all the songs that i was crazy about and that's how i really learned how to play drums i've never had never taken any lessons and um i'm not putting that down i think that taking lessons and learning to read music and all can only add to the picture so uh, i'm not against that um and and i wish i had done that because it would just have broadened my uh whole thing i'd I'd, I'd be even better probably but you gotta have it you gotta have whatever that is that god-given gift you can't you can't be taught how to play if you don't have it in you i feel or or it'll be very hollow you won't play with soul you won't understand it you won't feel it it's soulful it's about feeling it in your being and and letting it take you wherever it's going to take you
0: I would imagine that the practicing would have to do with kind of getting the timing right and making sure you're, you know, you're not like speeding up at one point and slowing down, no, but I would that... think, that, e- but I would think that even more, more important would be just sort of getting a feel like having the song in your bones and that you're feeling it and getting into the groove because the great drummers are the ones in my mind where you don't understand why they're great. They just like, there's something about the way they play makes you want to move in a way that other people don't.
1: Yeah. Um, It's like everybody's got a gift, Mark, and I know what my gift is. And so, you know, like I said, I it's something that like when I sit down at the kit, my body just I just follow the movements that my body makes to, you know, um, and and as far as timing and all that goes, um, playing with a click track is, I think, a really important thing, although I didn't learn with a click track. But I'll tell you what, every recording I've ever done is with a click track. It's important. Um, I was wondering about that. And my no, I think my gift, as far as drumming goes, is that I had this internal clock that is really pretty spot on. And so I've been lucky in that way, because I feel like the whole point of being a good drummer is you better have good fucking timing. You better be able to keep the beat straight. And you got to, you know, everybody's going to be honestly, they're going to be following your what you're doing. So, you know, if you screw up, you're going to mess the whole the whole thing up. So
0: when you have um, when you have a hit called We Got the Beat, you have to got the beat.
1: Right. That was um, when Charlotte brought that idea in for We Got the Beat, the drums just that came out pretty quickly. It was I thought I. I just let my brain and my body do what it does when I hear something and that beat should have been. It was all about, I believe, in simplicity um, when you're trying to uh, write whatever it is, your part for the song. Um uh, as I said, it's not, not a bet for me. Like I certainly have a great appreciation um, for drummers like, you know, Keith Moon, who, who, who did a million fills. And I mean, there's so many great drummers. We could sit here all day and talk about that, but um, you know, there's, then there's Charlie Watts. And so, um, and I love both and, and um, you know, you do whatever the song requires, right. I feel whatever it requires, you need to figure that out and, and do that. It's about the song. It was, it's about elevating the song always, always, always.
0: Absolutely. I thought it was crazy that you, you wrote about how you actually saw Led Zeppelin open for The Who. So you saw a double bill of John Bonham and Keith Moon. Mm-hmm.
1: And you know what? This is so crazy, Mark. But I found out who was I talk. I was doing an interview the other day. And then I realized that that concert was only happened
0: once. They only played together one time. I didn't so know everybody. they did it at all. Oh, my God. I know, I know that Keith Moon gave them the name, but I didn't realize they actually had a double I bill happened like that. To,
1: My brother happened to take me to that concert at 11 years of age. And, uh, you know, it's nuts that that was the one and only time that that happened with those two bands on the same bill. And I got to see that. I mean, whoa. <laughs> For some reason, I thought that they had, were doing a tour together. But then it was brought to my attention like last week. No, they only did that one show together. And that was at Weather Post Pavilion in 69. Um, And I was lucky enough to be there.
0: Did you have any inclination as an 11-year-old seeing, you know, the show that people would pay you a million dollars to go through a time machine to go see now? Did you have any inclination that, A, you were going to be a drummer or B, that this would maybe be inspiring you to do that once it was done?
1: You know, it was, uh, Mark, it was completely inspiring. Um, I was absolutely blown away. And I remember, uh, you know, and this is, you know, I feel like I had an epiphany at that time because it felt like from that point on that, and I've said this many times, but it's true. I knew I wanted to be up on that stage. I didn't care what instrument I was playing, but I just thought, "Oh my God, look at how these this audience! Look at how these people react to what they're doing, to what music does to people." I mean, you can't help yourself; it just moves you. And they were—I was seeing something that was more iconic than I realized at the time. Um, but for a first concert, what doesn't get any better than that? That is crazy. Really, man. does not get any better than that. And um, what I do remember from that is you know of course led zeppelin opening up and um for the who and they were incredible they sounded just like the record they were just incredible the who came out and did you know the act that they do they busted everything up at the end and for an 11 year old that (laughs) was mind-blowing um i'd never been to a concert and then this was it It it's the first concert i go to so it was something to see.
0: So was everything just a letdown after that? You're like, wait a minute. That's not like the who and Led Zeppelin.
1: Well, uh, there's never been anything quite like it in my whole life ever. So it was. I and mean, someone would be was, like, uh, hey,
0: let's go see Seals and Croft. And you'd be like, no, <laughs> I did see not... Seals
1: and Croft. By way. Whoever played at the Baltimore Civic Center, I was there. That's right. Uh, you know, whatever, whoever played, because I, I would take the bus up there My neighbor, I could take a bus and it would drop you off in front of the civic center. So my me and like my friend Bruce or Terry or Rosie, whatever my friends from school or my friends from neighborhood, we'd hop on a bus and get up there and see whoever it was playing, because that's all. After that first show, I was booked every penny that I got went to buying concert tickets, magazines, T-shirts. Albums, British imports. You know, I would go to the record store and buy all the British imports. I would, I would spend every dime I had on music from that point on. Done deal.
0: Yeah, I was hooked. In the sort of battle of the drummers and battle of the bands, who who did you come away more oppressed by Bonham and Led Zeppelin or Moon and the Who? Well, they're they're quite different. Well, I know, but you're 11. Which one did you come out going, oh my god? Uh, well,
1: I just, of course the grand finale for the who you know was pretty incredible so that yeah. that really that knocked me out yeah i mean I, to see something everybody busting their instruments up and
0: it was wild and they were the more legendary band at that point obviously oh you got, my you god know.
1: yeah 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 the zeppelin was just they were that was their first time being in the states you know they would they'd just come over here um and so this was new for them um of course, the Who had been around a while, uh, but you know it's funny because when I mean, thinking of the Who, thinking of all those those songs that Pete Townsend wrote, they're all really pretty simple. But it's it's how you arrange it and put it together that that, that uh, is the special sauce, you know?
0: Right. Um, yeah, and then and you've talked about how John Bonham and Charlie Watts were sort of you know the drummers that you idolized. You know,
1: and I loved and... what I loved about Charlie was how simple his playing was but oh my god it got you you know right right, yeah yeah and 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 then john bonham his footwork was incredible and all the the tom tom fills the triplets and all that whoa whoa
0: now did you learn bass first
1: uh, bass. Yeah. I started fooling around with a bass. I still have bass. I still fool around with it. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing on guitar. I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> on piano, but I know how to write with it. I can use it as an, as, as something to begin a write a song with. And I still don't know what I'm doing, but I can write songs.
0: Learn, <laughs> did learning bass or any other instruments sort of inform the way you approached drums when you started that? And how old were you when you got your first drum kit or just started was, drumming?
1: uh, 13, but I was 11 when I started, you know, picking up instruments and trying to play, figure out where, where I would land as far as what instrument I would, I would wind up playing. And, uh, you know, I tried bass for a while and like I said, I didn't, I was 11 or 12, 13. I didn't have patience for, um, for, for lessons to take lessons. Um, but with drums, I just, the minute I started playing, I knew I'd never have to take a lesson. but i I would always mark, I always learn everything by ear. Like that's how I can learn to play a song or a piano on piano is I, I have a good ear. I can pick out notes and figure out how to play stuff, even though I don't know what I'm doing.
0: So would you like put on you know like your favorite records and play along with them? And what were the records exactly- that you liked? So what were the ones that what were like your go-to's to like improve your drumming shots? What would you put on?
1: Oh, my God. Whatever I was listening to at the moment. Um, You know, it could be from Zeppelin to the Stones to Leonard Skinner to uh, Christ, you name it. Whoever was happening at the time, I was
0: listening to it. Um, Right now, it's escaping me, of course. I think you mentioned Black Sabbath in there somewhere.
1: Oh, my God. I love that because that was the second concert I ever went to was Black Sabbath. And I loved them. Oh, my God. I love that band. Um, And uh, Bill Ward. He's like a jazz drummer, man. Bill Ward was like a jazz drummer. It's amazing. You listen to that first record. Right. They're like jazz fills and shit. He's playing like a jazz drummer. Um, what a, he's a great, that guy's an incredible, very underrated drummer, I feel. Um, yeah. So I was playing, I was playing the Black Sabbath because I love it. It was, you know, it wasn't really like, it wasn't about, oh, this fellow is like this great drummer. It was always drawn to the music and then and then
0: that opened up
1: opened up the entire book for me and then and then I would learn parts but it, I had to be pulled in by by the songs
0: were there certain bands that you just or you know or albums that you just totally obsessed about when you were like a teenager
1: i remember um there were so many bands. I remember I loved the James Gang. Do you remember them, James Gang? Well, I do. Joe Walsh,
0: Joe Walsh yeah, before he was yeah. the eagle. Yeah, I
1: remember seeing them in Funk, Funk 59, 69, or whatever the fuck it was, whatever that song was, <laughs> Funk 57, whatever. I had that James Gang record, but um, I was completely enthralled and moved by David Bowie, of course. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> the Ziggy Stardust record changed my life. Um, I'd never seen or heard anything like that. And I, this guy was like from another planet. Um, what a genius. I, uh, so anyway, uh, I was listening to Bowie. I was listening to, um, did I just look at my record collection here? Oh my God. (laughs) I was playing to Blondie. I was playing to, uh, whoever else was out. Bad Company. Stones and I love Jethro Tall. I loved Motown. I was really also and I love James Brown. You know, I I just loved everything. I,
0: I And you're listening to Um, Blondie, you know, originally produced by Richard Goddard, who then produced the beat. So you got a little. You know
1: what's killing me is, is Mark. I'm thinking I was in Baltimore, and I remember sitting in the living room upstairs. I had my stereo set up in my bedroom, and I had the door open my bedroom into the living room because my mom and dad were usually downstairs making dinner, doing hanging out, whatever, watching TV. So I, I was kind of upstairs blasting music, and I remember singing all the songs to the plastic letters album which is fucking brilliant even to this their stuff is just brilliant all over um um but i remember upstairs pretending that i you know i had a mic and singing to that album parallel lines oh my
0: god um, also also another another band with a really good drummer too, Clem Burke.
1: Oh, Clem. And of course, who would have known that all these years later I would be friends with Clem. I would uh, get to know everybody in the band. I mean, Right. All these dreams, they all just sort of came true. Um, but I really I was completely focused on music. It's all I cared about. And every waking hour was spent, uh, absorbing new, new records, uh, new sounds. I was like a sponge absorbing as much as I possibly could, you know? Um, and I love, I love the Herman's Hermits and Dave Clark five. I was, it just, it was all I could do to stay focused on, you know, just doing my, my going to school. Cause I, I hated it. School interfered with my music.
0: <laughs> mm.
1: I was always drawn to, uh, to British music, so I was always buying British imports. I didn't even know who the hell I was buying who the, the people were, but I was buying it. I mean, I even bought Bill Wyman's solo record. Come on, um,
0: huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, But uh, well, I know that yeah, you guys. Yeah. I mean, you guys toured early on with with Madness, with uh, no, and you I think you, I think you, you mentioned that you're dating Mark Bedford, the the bassist. And, yeah, uh,
1: and you and, had, and, just, and
0: you're growing up in Baltimore.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And and you know one of the the, you know sort of patron saints of Baltimore is John Waters. Yes. And one of the landmark movies is uh, Pink Flamingos, and then it's you his, end up in a band with. Um, it's a It's is one of the more indelible movies uh, anyone will ever see. But you were the drummer for Edith Massey, who was the Egg Lady oh. mm-hmm. in Pink Flamingos, and you were in Edie and the Eggs. So, mm-hmm. like, how did that happen? Well,
1: I moved out of my house. When I was like 20, I moved into Fells Point on the waterfront, downtown. Right, I was going to say,
0: right by the water. I've, I've had uh, crab cakes at Fells Point.
1: So Edie had her shop there, Edie's shopping bag. So I lived right up the street on Broadway, and I'd go in and visit Edie all the time. She'd be sitting at the front of her store, sitting at the cash register, and she had her, this woman named Jeannie, who waited on her hand and foot, and then she had her cat, Lubby, who sat right next to the cash register. People would come in there. I don't think people bought much stuff in her thrift store. They just wanted to see Edie. She was such a character. And what a sure. sweetheart she was. Oh, my God. John gave her something to do in her later years of her life that she loved. She loved the adoration. She loved the fans coming in and asking for autographs and taking photos. I mean, what a sweetheart of a woman she was. And Anyway, one day I walked in. Hi, how you doing? She's like, oh, Gina, I want to put together a punk band and we're going to go to New York and Los Angeles, and San Francisco. <laughs> and I was like, you're kidding Edie?" You. She's like, you want to be in the band? I was like, yes, of course. Put this band together. Not really about doing anything that great musically. But it was just for me, I think it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get to go to L.A., go to San Francisco. I've been in New York plenty because, um, you know, growing up, we're in Baltimore. So my parents, we, we go up to New York a lot. So anyway, I was so excited to be a part of that. And we did, we went to New York and played at Max's Kansas City and CBGB's and came out to LA and played, did three shows at the Newark Theater and then came up to San Francisco and played at the Warfield. And what an incredible experience for me. Once again, all these firsts that were like, fucking monumental and i at the time i didn't realize how important it would all be in in the scope of things um what an exciting that was well I can't believe it all happened to me but that all made sense in my music education so i i got back to baltimore and the first thing i thought is okay how am i gonna i had to, how am i gonna save enough money to get you know, either in New York, LA or San Francisco, I, I was going to gonna wind up in one of those three places. So I did save some money, went up to New York for a little bit. And I thought it was going to, even though it was close to Baltimore, close to my family, it was, it was too harsh up there, man. And it was really expensive. And then I saved up some money, came out to California, spent a little time and I spent a little time in San Francisco and decided LA was a place that I wanted to be. So I went home, packed up everything in my dad's pickup truck and a friend of mine from high school, Babs, and we, Drove across country, seeking fame and fortune in, in L.A.
0: And finding it. Uh-huh. Because that doesn't happen for, for everyone. But, uh, How yeah, and, and, becoming the, and, and becoming the, well, and, and, and honestly, becoming, you know, the missing piece and band that needed you to get to the next level.
1: I say this, but I do believe in destiny. I think it was all supposed to happen. And who knows what drives you to do what you do and where you end up and all. But I just think you, if you stay focused and you try to do the right thing, you're going to wind up in a good place. Hopefully I think nine out of 10 times that does work. And I tell you, Mark, I was so focused. It was, it was all I dreamed about. All I thought about was I'm going to make it in the music business. It's what I love. It's all I care about. My heart and soul is in this. And when I came to LA, I came on a mission and, um, you know, got out here the minute I did, I was staying with my friend, Steve and, um, he started taking me around seeing different bands I saw the Go-Go's and I liked them and but they were kind of a mess but uh, it all worked out
0: so what was your first impression of the Go-Go's
1: they're having a lot of fun (laughs) having so much fun they don't give a shit if they mistakes they only know two songs they play one of those songs over again when they come back to do an encore so what the scene was so cool so inclusive nobody cared if you could play that well people were just getting together and having a great time and creating some good music occasionally here and there and i felt for the go-go's what they gave me which was something that i needed badly was the fun the fun aspect of it. Cause I was just too serious and they needed some discipline, you know, as far as right. their instruments go, they needed to, I wanted to push them to, to work more on their songwriting, work more on, you know, learning their instrument better. And so it all really worked out. We, we got from each other, what was needed to go to the next step and it just sort of progressed, progressed in a way um, that you would hope it would, you know, it couldn't have, I mean, you couldn't pay for it to work that way. It just did. It was very organic and um,
0: and we were doing it. Now at that point, you know, I mean, obviously in all female band, there weren't a lot of them. Uh, and also just women in rock in general, like playing, playing instruments as opposed to being, you know, the, the singer, you know, that was even considered, you know, like sort of a rarity. But I think a woman drumming, there really weren't a lot of female drummers at that point. Did you feel like you were kind of, climbing an uphill uh i don't know going uphill no, because there no. weren't that many or did it just not matter? i
1: never I, that, I never thought about that well it's funny you should bring that up because i remember my mom saying to me oh gina why couldn't you just be a singer It would have been a lot easier right she, she wouldn't she wouldn't have to be listening to some kid kid banging on drums day and night right um but uh yeah you know i mark i never thought about it because i was just so immersed in what i was doing and it was all about taking in as much as I could, and I, I loved playing drums. It was so easy. I didn't have to think. My body would just move, do all the right moves to make it happen. Listening to a song, when somebody would bring something in, you know, you'd work on a couple parts, come up with a great beat, boom, you're off to the races. And um, I never thought about being a girl and playing drums. It was just, it was the right fit. It was, it was, it was the instrument uh, that I should have been playing. And it became very apparent when I picked up sticks the first time I knew that that's what I would wind up playing. It wasn't just going to be something I do for a week. It was, there was a connection right away that, that I didn't feel when I picked up a guitar or a bass. So I I knew that that's what I would wind up doing. And I never had taken drum lessons. So there you go.
0: Well, you know, so much talk about, you know, the go-go is, especially when there was the whole rock hall of fame when you weren't in. And then finally, you know, you were, um, and, uh, I said to Kathy Valentine, when I talked to her, I said, you did the impossible. You made me care about the Rock Hall of Fame because part of me is just like rock. A Hall of Fame is like an is not a rock and roll kind of concept. But it also pissed me off that you guys weren't in it. So, so I was glad when you finally got in. But but a lot of times it's sort of like, well, because it was, you know, it was the most successful all-female rock band. But I don't I didn't like those or love those songs because you were an all-female rock band. I love those songs because they, they were great yeah. songs, well, you go, you know, well-performed. Yeah you know close
1: your eyes close your eyes and listen that's all i say close your eyes it's about the music and yeah we're girls but you know it's about it's about hearing songs that move you that speak to you you know uh and really that's what it was about for our band we were we were young we were having a great time um and the songs that were coming out of this band talked about all that uh, right we're very timely and and um it all made sense and it still does. It's like even you listen to the stuff now and you can still, it still applies. It's crazy, but it's, I feel like our stuff has stood the, the test of time.
0: Oh, uh, it, ho- uh, it holds up really well. There's a lot of, there's a lot of 80s stuff that has this kind of time capsule feeling with the, the performance and the production, especially and the drum sound and everything. And I don't feel that way about those Go Go's records.
1: No, it has a very, uh, our, our records, I feel, um, uh, Richard Goddard, first of all, is a great song man. He, I mean, and we were very lucky to have him on our first couple of records. The, the guy, you know, I mean, Miles Copeland knew what he was doing when he set us up with Richard, uh, who was also a lovely, a lovely man. But, you know, he pulled the songs apart, you know, and made the necessary changes to make them into uh, something that. Was going to appeal to the masses, and he certainly did. You know, um, you know, first thing he said is, "You know, Gina, you need to slow down. You're playing way too fast. I can't even hear what Belinda's singing." Well, when we slowed the songs down, that changed a lot. You know, because you could the melodies had room to breathe, and you know, you could actually hear what Belinda was saying. And so that's what we went from being strictly a punk band into a sort of a pop punk rock band. You know, right? Which I guess is what I'd say we are because. All those elements apply to us when we perform live and, and even on record, you know, there's all the bits of that that are that are there.
0: Yeah. My sense is that the band, when that album, when you first heard the mix of it, you were all like, what? This isn't this isn't a, no, you know, a rough top, and tough right? band that we were. But then then later when it was a huge hit, you're like, well, I guess that's OK.
1: Exactly. Yeah. When we first heard it, we thought it was way too popular. You know what I mean? Like we were used to hearing one, two, three, four. You know, we were we uh, we had been listening. You know, we were thinking about the way that we played, um, how our audience reacted to that. And we thought, oh, my God, they're not even going to know who we are, our audience. But it wasn't about our core audience. It was about taking the core audience and then expanding. Richard was looking at the big picture. Um, and these were great songs, you know, waiting to happen. And he he, you know, arranged them in such a way that it, 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 it appealed to the masses, which is what we wanted ultimately. Um, and that is true. Yeah. We hated it when we first heard it and thought he had ruined our band. And then of course, when it went platinum, we were like, he's brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) God bless him. Boy, does he know what he's doing? Well, yeah, he does know what he's doing.
0: (laughs) Do you remember, you know, those songs being kind of presented to you and sort of the way the band would like, how would the band work out? like the arrangements, did the songwriters sort of have a pretty good idea of what everything should sound like? Or were you pretty much no. com- coming up with your drum parts no. and it's shaping it as a band?
1: No, this, the, the Go-Go's were really about the five of us sitting in a room and coming up with those arrangements, coming up with each of our parts, you know, um, and each of us helping each, we, we all helped each other come up with parts, you know, if somebody was playing something on guitar, oh, I love that. That's a, that's kind of a hook. Incorporate that into the verse or into the chorus, whatever. Um, So we all we listened to what what each of us had to say about, you know, incorporating whatever it is that we were coming up to into the song um, and not making it a throwaway piece. Um, uh, That happened a lot. And that's why I love being in a band because you learn from each other. Um, You know, it's not just you sitting in a room trying to figure it out, whether or not you think if you like the part or you don't like it. When you have a sounding board, when you have other people in the room and we're all like-minded, you help each other figure these parts out. That's what makes you into the band you become. That is what was so wonderful about the chemistry of the Go-Go's. Things would have never happened the way they did without the five of us sitting in a room and working on these things, because no, no, there's, I mean, there's very few people that can do it all, you know? Um, and certainly we weren't one of them. We, uh-huh. we were a real band and and we relied on each other and we helped each other with our parts. Um, you know, if anybody was stuck or like I said, picking out, you know, somebody playing a bass line or guitar line and going like, I, I would go, Oh my God, that's great. Let's, you know, everybody did that with each other um and so that part of being in a band is what i love you learn you learn a lot
0: do you remember particular songs where you know the five of you worked it out and by the end of it you were like oh my god this is great this is like the best song ever oh shit
1: um mark that happened a lot um As far as I'm concerned, that happened with every song that we worked out because every song to me was a masterpiece at that point in time. You know, it was like we were young, we were learning, we were open, um, we weren't jaded at all. It was all—it was just a beautiful time, and I feel like we were all absorbing as much as we could. There, there weren't egos involved. There wasn't money involved. There was—you know—it was the way it should be. Yeah, you know, before all, before you develop issues within a band, which ultimately okay. always happens.
0: When you guys finished "Beauty and the Beat," did you think, okay, uh our lips are sealed, we got the beat; those are the two big hits.
1: Yeah, it was obvious. It was obvious, but there were so many more hits on that album. That
0: album was full of hits. Oh yeah, no, I know. That's why I was wondering because because I, because I mean, you could have been like, oh no, I think this town is the hit, or it how much more? Been, yeah, how much more it, is the hit, or you know, it or whatever
1: been at least at least four singles off that album and that was kind of a fucking stupid decision to jump right into the next record not a good decision i don't know how this band ever made it. we made some dumb fucking moves daddy let me tell you (laughs) we made some dumb shit moves over the years despite our dumb moves we've been able to keep our heads above water
0: yeah every band has its share of dumb moves but it is hard Mm -hmm. to Look back on them.
1: There were so many great songs on that record, and we were just kids putting it all together. But it was definitely a definitely a team effort that made made the band into what it became. Um, all of us were were very very important in, in that mix.
0: Kathy was the last one to join, so she was so she was sort of the final missing piece. And again, I was talking about the two of you as a rhythm section. Is there a special relationship between the drummer and the bassist? As opposed to, you know, how you work with the, you know, guitarist or, you know, when someone does keyboard.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Kathy and I, when the band would rehearse, Kathy and I would go in a couple hours before the rest of the band would get there and we would go over to set. We were always into nailing down our parts so that they were, you know, we wanted the bass and the drums to sort of be intertwined in a way that was seamless. And that's what we spent hours on before the band um, would come in. We 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 go over song over and over, make sure that that she chose the right notes for whatever section it may be of the song, making sure that I had the right drum bits, um, and making sure that they they locked in with each other and that it was seamless. That's that's what we spent our time doing, and we really talked about music a lot. The other girls weren't as weren't as into music as Kathy and I were, um, but like I said we we had years we had years on them as far as as far as uh you know, being musicians, we had been playing many years before they, they started. So we, you know, we would talk a lot about, you know, the music that we loved and the bands that influenced us growing up. And, um, so we were very, very much the same mind when it came to to working together and and picking out parts together. Um, team effort.
0: Was it really exciting when the stuff started actually clicking and hitting and you're like, Oh my God, these songs are Huge.
1: well you know you can feel it when you've been working on something spending the afternoon trying to figure out parts and then when it finally hits you're like fuck yes this is what it's supposed to be it can't get much better than this then we're all laughing and screaming and you know making jokes and it's the serious mood goes right out the window because like we found it we figured it out um yeah there are those moments that happen on every song that you work on where you you know, finally get to the point where, you know, this is the this is the line you're going to play throughout the song or this is the beat you're going to use. These are the fills you're going to have. Um, these are the harmonies that are going to be in place when you record it or when you play live. It's sort of but, building on one thing after the next.
0: By the so way, did did Richard Goderer come to you and say, I want you to play with a click track or was that something you were going to do?
1: No, I always I, I was open for that because I knew my strong point was um, my timing. My strongest point is that is that I have really good timing. That's my gift. That's well, you not say care. to him. I don't
0: need a click track. I am a click track. No,
1: no. Uh, but I, when I made the third record with Martin Russian, um, that was an issue because he wanted to use, he had just seen had just come out and he had just bought a claviar, which was crazy expensive, but he had done the human league record. Dare with that, with the Synclavier right. was a big part of it. And, and I, you know, I, really pushed to use Martin, um, for our third album, because I thought dare was just a work of art. Um, that record still, it's incredible. Um, the sounds, the songs, uh, they're timeless. And, and I wanted to work with Martin and I, uh, you know, got everybody on board. And so we do, I decided to do the record with him, but then I knew it was going to come up about whether he was going to let me play drums. So I made a, I made a, a pact with him and it was like, Martin, Give me a shot at putting live drums down. If I can't cut it, then we'll use a Synclavier. Fine, I'll do that. But give me a shot. And it worked out to, you know, it, I benefited from that because I could play everything. There were some songs that we would use the Synclavier and live drums with, combine the sounds that sound great. Uh, but I, once again, I would do whatever the song required. So if it was going to sound better, to use the same clavier I would, but I knew I could, I could play every single track on that record.
0: Yeah. There's some, some great track. drum sounds on that record. Like turn to you. I mean, the drums really slam on that Yeah, um, I mean, head over heels. Yes. They sound really great. You got that break in there with you and Kathy. I mean, that sounds fantastic. Yeah,
1: it's just, it's just really straight playing and, 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 and keeping, keeping it rocking, keeping, keeping it in time and, you know, keeping the timing perfect so that anybody can jump in wherever they want. It's going to be on, on the mark. Um, that album, Sounded more the way we we wanted wanted our record to, our go go's record to sound. Um, uh, it was richer. I, I feel like uh, Richard Goddard was more of a song man, and the productions were sort of the sort of stuff that the classic productions. What am I saying, really? Uh, but Martin had his own thing, and we fit into that beautifully at the time. Um, and I love I love the way talk show sounds.
0: It yeah, sounds no. different.
1: Different, excuse me, than the first two records. But it's who we were and what we were doing. And um, I love it.
0: Well, it sounds I like learned, a Go-Go's record.
1: Yeah, I learned from Martin. I, I learned a lot. And what a lovely man he he was. And it's uh, it saddens me to say that he's, you know, is gone. But, uh, oh, he was a lovely guy. He was lovely. He yeah. would tell me stories about Mark Boland because I loved T-Rex. Uh, another band. I would play with T-Rex all the time, you know. Mambo Sun and, you know. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, you know, bang gong. I mean, I mean, I was yeah. Um, he was telling me about working with him and how Mark came in and they would drink an entire case of champagne in the inn at night and that's when they were recording. Wow. Some of the stories I've heard are so great, man. I've I've found out so much stuff, all the stuff I had hoped to to know about people that I admired and
0: you know. Well, it seemed like going off to England to record that record would sound like it would be fun, but it doesn't sound like it was like the greatest experience for you all.
1: No, it was a bad time in the band's history because it was sort of the height of the drug intake. People were really out there. Several people in the band left in the middle of recording. We had to find out where the fuck they were. Um, Show up for a photo shoot. One member doesn't show up. I mean, yeah, it was a mess. During that time all I can say is I stayed in Streetly and worked on that record. That's what I can say. But uh it's what it is. It's it's a it's a team effort in the end. And all five of us were needed to make that record. Right. What it, what it became. It yeah, be Ballin- difficult to get everybody in the same room at the same time, but uh when well,
0: and, and, and you're in- all like staying in the same house too, right? I mean, like wasn't that sort we of We were
1: staying at this hotel in Streetly and it was like uh it was on the tangs. And so it was uh, this idyllic setting. Um, And in the midst of all that was a lot of crazy stuff going on. Um, But it's like every band goes through it. You know, you're a hugely successful band. You got a lot of money, lots of drugs, lots of egos, lots of hanger owners. And, you know, if you can get through it, that's, that's the true test. You see?
0: Yeah. In Belinda's book, she wrote, uh, that you, when you guys are on tour and I'm not sure, I don't remember which, what tour it was. Uh, so the go-go's were divided into two camps. There were the good girls, Jane, Kathy, and Gina, and then there were the bad girls, Charlotte and me, drugs, and sometimes people's egos were usually the issues that created such factions.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, because Charlotte was doing some really bad drugs at the time and Belinda was really out there, Uh, but, you know, yeah i don't know what to say about that i don't want to talk about it really it's not my place you'd have to ask different people in the band i can say that i kept my i kept my shit together that's all i can say about all that
0: absolutely yeah and Um, i actually i think that part of your history has been pretty well covered so i'm like happy to hit more of the music but i was the the the, the belinda would actually write about the two camps i thought was interesting but
1: which is you know remember gotta remember that everybody's memories of what was going on are different
0: right (laughs) And some of them I might have been influenced remember. by what including was going on at the myself, time. Too.
1: Including myself, you know,
0: I would All imagine I it would be stay. frustrating for you as the person who was trying to impose the discipline and make sure everyone practiced to have to, you know, be sort of hurting well, I
1: everybody to get in the goddamn studio and work on their parts. You know, it was difficult. It was difficult because, uh, you know, Martin's would be sitting in the studio. He and I talking, where the hell is everybody? And it was tough, but you know, Everybody finally did come to their senses, came back, and we did a great record.
0: Do you think that the success of Beauty and the Beat made it harder for you guys to follow up? The stuff and to sort of keep keep the sort sure, of spirit you had because pressure. there was because there's more pressure, more more money issues, you know, more disparities of things.
1: Yeah. I mean, when we did Beauty and the Beat, we were just kids. I think we got some we were just there to make a record. We were pure. We were clean. We came into it doing everything for the right reasons. Then a lot of money came into the picture and a lot of drugs and it fucked everything up like it always does. But do you right. get through that? Do you make it through that? you know, that's the bottom line here. And we did. And, you know, um, I think that we got bad advice on that first record. And I think that has a lot to do with how the songwriting and all that was split because yes, uh, you know, Jane and Charlotte definitely brought in songs. There's no doubt, but I absolutely believe that without the five of us sitting there and working on those songs, they wouldn't have become what they've become. I, all I can use is we got the beat as a perfect example I can't imagine we got the beat being this, you know, million selling single that it, that it became without that drum beat. So there's something which you, to be came, said, which you
0: came up with.
1: Yeah. I mean, and the bass side, boom, 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 boom. You know, there is something to be said for the input of every member of the band and how that contributes to making the song into a hit. Okay. That's the bottom line for me. And we, are and were a band. It seems like
0: there's something sort of fundamentally screwed up about the way money, and it's different then than now, but it's screwed up in different ways in different eras, but the way money is sort of distributed on the publishing songwriting performance sort of royalty things like there are these sort of built in disparities.
1: It just, it depends on whether you're in a band or whether you're an artist, you know what I mean? And you're hiring people to come in and play. I just know that. There are a lot of management, there's a lot of managers, management out there now that won't even deal with a band unless they're splitting everything equally. Because they know if they have any success, the band's going to break up. Because, you know, one person or two people are going to make a a ton more money than the others. And it's going to cause a problem. It just is. I mean, We've worked everything out over the years. It's all been worked out with us. And, you know, fortunately, we've all had our own solo stuff that we've done. I've made solo records. You know, I mean, uh, Belinda's done quite well, but she's a singer and you would expect that. It's all worked out, I guess, the way it's supposed to. You can't just sit around and wait for things to fall in your lap. you got to go out there and get them. you got to go out there and make things happen, you know. Um, and we did as the five members of the Go-Go's, we worked hard to make the go-go's happen. And we all had input in various ways, even in the business aspect of it, you know, someone would be more drawn to dealing with that sort of bit of uh, the business aspect of, of being in the go-go's. Like I fucking hate that. I don't like, you know, Charlotte likes dealing with that better than I do. And Jane does and yeah, whatever. It, it, that's all it doesn't need to be talked about because it's boring, but, hmm. but it is true. You know, you let people well, seems- do what they would with their best at.
0: Yeah, it, it seems like a band like REM where they just split all the songwriting, and you you don't really know, you know, if, if Bill Berry brought in the beginning of that song or Peter Buck brought it in, and, and they just shared everything, and it just sort of t- and it just sort of took it took that off the table, and they lasted for a long time. And it seems like there are a lot of other bands where I mean, I remember you hearing too. these insane stories you about too. like talk, think- Talking you Heads. Too. Yeah, you too does that. Whereas Talking Heads? Like. There was this insane story about Brian, Eno on remain in light wanting each person on each song to say what percentage of the song they thought they'd contributed. And it's like, that's just like a way to just like cause everyone to distrust everyone. Well, and I'm, I'm,
1: I would say I'm, you know, friends with Tina and Chris and it was a fucking nightmare for them. So they put out the Tom Tom club. Alrighty. They did. All right. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's just, that's very typical in a band. I'm that's, Nothing new, but it's fucked up. It's a shame that that has to come into the picture when it's, it doesn't need to, man. Just split it all equally. It's however many people, if you're in a band, you're in a band. The recipe to be a solo arts. Do it on your own if you just want to keep your money.
0: Right. And you guys have come through a lot. I mean, you know, you and Kathy have both at some point had to sue over stuff just to make yeah. sure you're getting what you, you yeah. wanted.
1: Whatever the agreements are, then stick to them. And if you don't, then there are repercussions.
0: So how's everyone now?
1: I think everything's fine for the moment right now. It's sort of Belinda's doing stuff in England right now. I wish we were doing shows. I'm not going to lie. I love the band and I wish we were out doing go-go stuff. And I've had some, you know, health issues with my neck. I've had to have operated on my shoulder, then oh. my hand, my uh, thumb. But I've been playing. I'm, I'm back 100%. Um, I just played it Outside Lands. With the Linda Lindas this past weekend, which was really a blast. Awesome. Uh, they do tonight. I came out and did tonight. Go go song tonight with them. I had the best time and hung out with everybody and met a lot of people.
0: It was lovely. Well, you guys were supposed to tour with Billy Idol in like June. Yeah. And, and then he bumped it to like October and then you weren't done. Because he got sick. Anymore. He got
1: really, really sick. And then Belinda had stuff already booked in uh, in England. And during during that period of time. So we had to just sort of walk away from that. I'm not happy about it, but it's what it is.
0: So was it just a timing thing where when he rescheduled it, you couldn't do It actually do was new dates?
1: it actually was. He he was sick. Um, I don't think that they talked about it much, but I think he got
0: like MRSA or something like that. He, I saw he something about, about it. Like yeah. Something like yeah. not
1: good. They kept him sick for quite a while. Um, So that sort of got postponed, and then it screwed up scheduling. Oh man, COVID fucked everything up for everybody the last couple of years. Let's be honest. Um, so anyway, I hope that we do go out on tour. I don't know when, but it would be nice. I'd like it. I love playing.
0: Um, you know, what was a bigger thrill for you, the Rock Hall, or getting your star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame?
1: Oh, Rock Hall, yeah. Uh, They were both pretty cool, let's be honest. Um, But I think the Rock Hall, because you're voted in by your peers, all sitting in front of you, you're playing, you're meeting everyone. I mean, what a thrill, you know, hanging out with Paul McCartney. What a thrill. Yeah. Hanging out with Amir, you know, Questlove. I mean, it was all fabulous. Hanging out with the Foo Fighters, spending some time with Taylor. uh, It was lovely. It was a lovely time. Meeting Brandy Carlisle. She was fucking awesome. I love that girl. I'm so happy for her. And she's she's really doing well. I love it.
0: What a talent. Now have you been writing more songs on your own? I know that you wrote like a the title track of or co wrote the title track of Miley Cyrus's album. Yeah, I'm always co-writing.
1: I don't do anything on my own. I don't like doing anything on my own. I like to be part of a team. That's why I like being in a band. Um no, I'm but I'm actually getting into it. I've spent The last seven years of my life taking care of my mom and dad, who were, uh, you know, at the end of their lives. And I brought them to San Francisco um, to take care of them. And dad just passed away last. It's been one year. So now Mm. I'm sort of getting back into um, doing what I do. And uh, but my time has been spent with them and rightfully so. And I'm really glad that I uh, the Go-Go's have been able to afford me that kind of time. You know right. what I mean? Where I could spend with mom and dad, just them. They gave me so much. And so I wanted to give it back. And uh, um, I feel real good about, about that. Really good.
0: And then and then, obviously you did your book, uh, Made in Hollywood, which is a really fun book. It's a great one to just sort of leave out. Because if anyone comes over, if you actually... It's the coffee
1: table book. It is. Right? That's what I wanted. I, I originally started out just wanting to do a, a photo book. But it evolved into you know, writing a bunch of stories about those photos. Cause like, just looking at the photos, the fellow that helped me work on it, a a guy named Steve Prege, he was like, Gina, come on, why don't you just try writing some stuff? And, and, and it just sort of, it it poured out of me. You know how it is. You look at a photo and you remember everything. Absolutely. You hear a song, you remember what was going on at that time, you know?
0: Well, and the the photos also look like they were taken by someone who everyone trusts because they are not like these posed shots like they're very well composed but they're not like like everyone like at their best all the time it feels yeah, like you're in the room with them that.
1: it was about it was about me just catching a moment in time that nobody else could because i'm in the band
0: <laughs> and everyone in the band trusts you enough to like sign of off course, on it and of course be part of, of it course. and you know, look at, yeah. look at you and, and, and everything else. I love uh, the quote from Jodie Foster in there where I guess she and Rob Lowe end up like hanging out with you guys. And, and she says uh, they were up for edgy mischief, but still love their parents. I thought that was a great line, edgy mischief, but they love their parents. And that's like, that sort of perfectly captures, you know, a type of person who you want to hang out with, frankly.
1: Yeah. Sort of that. Cause it was innocent. It was innocent. And Jody's still a good friend to the to this day, um, and it's great because like like she had never been around a rock band, you know, and we were wild compared to her going to Yale and like really being a very studious uh, student. She was, you know, all about you know um, getting a, a better right. education, and we were all about we'll show you how to we're going to educate we're going to educate you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, she loved it like dragging her from club to club in New York City and having these wild dinners at Mr. Chow's and spending loads of money, just having the time of our lives. And um, I know she appreciated it because she had never been exposed to that.
0: What was your, what was sort of your biggest kind of pinch me moment, moment when you met someone and you thought, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting this David person. David Bowie, David Bowie. Right, because he was from another planet. And then he was like, you're meeting him. Yeah
1: this guy you know but that's happened so many times in my life you know i really need to meet ringo star though i really need to meet ringo god oh, damn it you're, you're drummers I mean, come on i know that's what
0: i said aren't you in a club I
1: gotta meet ringo he lives in la okay i gotta figure this out um i'll
0: come along i'll i'll, I'll, yes, I'll you bet, talk Martin, to you together together we'll do meet, another episode
1: meeting bowie and then of course meeting the stones and uh that's pretty big in my book you know, I, I realized them growing up and uh and I got to hang out with them. And they were exactly as you figured they would be. Lovely people. All really just great.
0: Did you talk drums with uh Charlie Watts?
1: Just for a minute, because we were back it was before they did their show. It was cool because they were playing only a ten thousand a ten thousand seater, which was small for that tour. And you know, we uh postponed a couple shows to go and do that show with them in rockford illinois so we were thrilled and um hung out with them uh before the show that was neat and then in new york hung out with uh uh ronnie wood and his and his wife at the time joe spent some time hanging out with them in in new york city
0: afterwards that's all awesome. How much do you play uh, drums still? Like, do you do you sort of practice at home a lot? Like, how do you keep I yourself from playing? I've done a
1: goddamn thing, Mark. but I just, <laughs> started, I just started again, and I'm really having some fun playing. DW just made me another kit, and I'm really having fun playing in a way that I haven't felt for a long time. Uh, get, I'm getting excited. Like, actually, get excited about going to re- play. Just you know, me myself and I. That's it. In a room. Doing some stuff, play a little bit, then put on a couple songs, play with them. Um it's really been fun getting back in getting back in the saddle, you know? When the go oh, goes p- back in the saddle, just remind me of Aerosmith song. Oh my <laughs> god, I was so into Aerosmith. Oh my god, I love them. I used to play along with what's his name, Kramer, uh their drummer, um uh, to a lot of the a lot of Aerosmith's uh stuff. A lot of Aerosmith songs. I loved them. Joey Kramer, there's another underrated drummer. Joey Kramer's a goddamn. He's a good drummer,
0: huh. really good. When the Go Go's play shows, how does that happen? Is it just just who calls who and says, "All right, we're on," or is, or, or or is it more organic? Uh, like you guys will talk among each other and say, "Hey, it's time to no, do it," or well, like, our, our, uh,
1: You know, you have management, and then you have uh, your booking agency, and they the booking agency talks to the manager, and the manager says, "Oh, this is what times are available," uh, and then. You know, then we get sent a list of dates that we may or may not do. It's
0: just, uh, yeah. But you all have to sort of agree ahead of time. Okay, we all want to do it right now, or yeah, just of course. We just, just...
1: Everybody's got separate lives now. Everybody does what they do, and rightfully so. We're we are sort of we're grown up now.
0: Kind of. I mean, do you think everyone wants to do it, or is there anyone who's like harder to convince to do it?
1: I don't know. You'd have to ask everybody to be. I can't speak for anyone. I can speak okay. for myself. And You're up.
0: ready for it. You're ready to. I go. I
1: love the play. I always want to play um, and when you, it's what I do.
0: And when you play concerts, who, who comes up with a set list?
1: Oh, um, you know, at rehearsal, we sit down, we go, you know, uh, everybody will pitch in what they would like to play and do a couple covers uh, for encores usually. And, and we, we, we uh, go over them and see which one works best. And then we, and then we do that when we play live, whichever one sounds best.
0: Are there songs that you, you argue for that you don't get in the set or other songs that you argue against that do?
1: Of course. Like, like there's do, a song, we, Fun With Ropes, that I would, I would love to play every single time we play. And it was never recorded, but it should be. We all want to record that song. It is so much fun. I love that
0: song, Fun With Ropes. When is that from?
1: The 70s. <laughs> so, it's
0: a, so, it's, so it's an old original. Oh, you bet. You guys just never recorded. It's
1: all the best stuff
0: what is the one song in on the set where you're like, oh, I just don't want to have to play this one anymore?
1: We got the beat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> your showcase though, it's you. I know. You're the one with me. I got the beat.
1: Yeah, no. I you've know.
0: Played you've, you've, you've played it. You've played it at a single show. That's a
1: song that I think we played more than any other. So it's like, oh my god, again. Yeah. But you know what? That being said how fucking grateful am I that I get to play that song Sure. that I came up with those parts. You Both know? of I mean, those
0: things can be true. You yeah. can be really sick of playing it, but of grateful course. that you get to play it.
1: That's part of being human. You know,
0: what'd you think of the fun boy three version of uh, our lips are sealed?
1: I loved it. I thought it was great.
0: Well, I hope I get to hear you playing drums again soon, uh, live on record, all of those things, but, but yeah, come, come play in Chicago uh, with the go-go's or with any of your, you know, other musicians you like. So Mark, I hope
1: that that does happen sooner than later. But I got a feeling it's going to be a little while.
0: (laughs) Why do you you think it's going to be a while?
1: Because everybody's busy doing different things, including myself. But, you know, we always come back together. It's sort of like everybody gets busy doing stuff. And then we'll get a call from management saying, hey, such and such want you to play. Is everybody available? We always find seem to find time to do that.
0: And you recorded a single, you know, relatively recently. So, you know, maybe you'll record again at some point.
1: That I don't know about. That seems least likely. But you never know because I don't know how many times everybody in Spanish said, no, we're not doing that. Or no, I quit. Or no, I, and it never really happens. We just keep <laughs> can't get away from each other.
0: <laughs> that's, that's why you keep saying it's family. So there you go.
1: It is family. And, you know, the the sort of stuff that the, the the emotions that you have with family are so fucking deep and raw and you know nobody can upset you nobody can bring you so much love and joy it's you know it's, it's exactly how we are
0: well that's great well i hope to uh i hope your dysfunctional family is able to hit the road it's again. always
1: dysfunctional but isn't everyone so i was gonna go. say it's
0: kind of redundant even to say that uh <laughs> just family so Sorry well, well. pleasure that's all for episode 46 of carol pop Thanks so much to Gina Shock for such a lively, fun conversation. She talks with as much enthusiasm and passion as she plays. Be sure to pick up her book, Made in Hollywood, All Access with the Go-Go's, and buy some extras for family and friends. It's also always a good time to dive back into those Go-Go's records, as well as the self-titled House of Shock album. Carol Pop is produced by Chris Swake. Who's also got the beat? I'm Mark Caro. Please follow me on Twitter at Mark Caro, at M A R K C A R O, and visit the Carol Pop website, carolpop.com, for posts about music, movies, and food, and also this Carol Pop podcast. Please share, subscribe, and tune in again next week for another Carol Pop Conversation. Thanks.